Hey, buddy. Hey. This year, we uh, didn't get an Australian Podcast Award nomination, but you can vote for us in the listener's choice. Yeah, last year we were nominated and we unfortunately lost, but uh, we didn't uh, have the same luck this year. But you have the opportunity to send us back to the awards. Uh, If you head to the link in the show notes, you can submit your vote for us in the popular vote for this year's awards. Absolutely. All you've got to do is go to the link in the show notes, search for our podcast, but I don't want to be a secondary character, and select it, put in your name and your best email address and hit submit. Uh, you'll get a confirmation email so you for your vote to count just make sure you go back to your email find that confirmation and just click confirm and once that's done your vote counts and hopefully we'll be in the top 10 that's right and voting does conclude on the 18th of november so you've still got a couple of weeks left to submit your vote Uh, and if you want to spread the word that would be awesome as well and you'll make us feel like kramer eating kenny rogers chicken what we want to do is take a podcast award and say mulligatani mulligatani and uh run down the street like uh like newman yes exactly we want to do that but anyway Thanks for helping us out and enjoy today's episode. Oh, no, 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 no. A better way to reach the bra would be to undo the jacket, then go around the back of the shirt. Peter, you're incredible. Here, I want to show you something. Hand me that pillow. What? I'm giving you a raise! But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Ivan. My God, my computer screen is just so good. I can actually see you and it looks like you're in the same room as me. Well, actually, you are in the same room as me. You're back, baby. Yeah, we are. We're back in uh, Pennypacker Studios after four, just over four months. So it's uh, fantastic to be back in person, uh, not only for your company's sake, um, but for uh, your editing's sake. Oh, thank God. I know. I was telling you off air that this is probably take like an hour and a half off my editing because doing it online with two separate files is just a pain in the ass. But now now you're here it's nice and easy no delays in our talking none of that kind of stuff no you know you know internet cutouts it's fantastic yeah no uh vpn technical issues <laughs> yeah. anything like that <laughs> yes but anyway yes so victoria we are out of our second wave of the coronavirus at the moment and we're out of lockdown so we are able to go to each other's houses which is exciting so yeah you'll be getting some more in-studio recordings of bibwabas yeah and hopefully we don't have to go back into lockdown hopefully this was the last lockdown at least for the foreseeable future and uh, with that in mind, any of our American and European listeners, your uh, lockdowns are just starting to take effect now, especially in Europe. So uh, if you are listening, our hearts are with you and our thoughts are with you. And uh, we do hope that the next few months are as easy as possible. Um, and we hope that we can provide an hour or so every week of uh, distraction and joy talking about Seinfeld and uh, just watch more Seinfeld. You'll be indoors more. So maybe it'll be a good thing in a way. Yeah, do like Finn Balor, the wrestler did when you mentioned him on Seinfeld News. He watched the whole, you know, binge the whole Seinfeld show. Yeah, maybe it'll result in a, in a whole new generation of Seinfeld fans. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> They'll listen to us 20 years later. When our podcast ends in about six months when we've run out of episodes, we'll get a whole second wave of listenership. <laughs> oh, our stats will be higher than when we're actually doing it. <laughs> Exponential growth. <laughs> yes. Uh, and in case it wasn't obvious, we are, but I don't want to be a secondary character. We're a Seinfeld podcast out of Melbourne, Australia. I am Stephen. And I'm Ivan. And uh, we take a random episode of Seinfeld every week and uh, we examine the secondary characters from it. And this week we're going to a season six i would say underrated episode the secretary i'm giving you a raise <laughs> season six episode nine of that series yes i never thought i'd uh hear what george costanza sounds like when he's having an orgasm yeah i know right but uh <laughs> i would say that that is probably the most at least detailed it's not graphic because you don't see anything but the most uh obvious sex scene in the show it is absolutely I mean, with the groans and the grunting and you know george coming and saying that famous line it's, yeah it's, it's still there. it's still very pg and 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 sort of you know toned down but it's definitely the most obvious it was yeah i kind of forgot about the whole scene but you know given the topics that they do uh, talk about in seinfeld it's you know not completely out of character no no it was just yeah it was quite quite confronting at times too yeah especially 
with episodes like the contest where sex is kind of like referenced, but in this episode, it's kind of like it's all in your face. Yeah, so to speak. Um, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, give the me con- that pillow. I'll show you something. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, the contest. The contest obviously uses uh, metaphors intentionally to get around the TV censors and keeping it PG. But this is a bit more blatant. Uh, if you want to talk about sex with us or uh, <laughs> teach us how to more efficiently unclip a bra, you or, can. Or tell us, you know, what you do with a pillow. You know, <laughs> when we give you a pillow, what are you going to do? Yeah, or express your gratitude just by having, you know, when you have sex. <laughs> Who knows? I you- listen to Vidwa Bask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no. That's going to be a mood dampener. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can email us, podcast at gmail.com. We're on all forms of social media. And uh, you can support us as well by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice. All of our previous episodes are available to you. And you can support us financially too. Yes, we are on PayPal for one-off donations. And we're also on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. You get access to this episode earlier than everyone else, as well as Curbcast and Season 11, our bonus podcasts. And uh, big thanks currently to our patrons as of recording, Holly, Nakia, Jeff, Dan, and Neil. So for $2 a month US or thereabouts, they're getting access to everything that I just mentioned. Yeah, thanks, guys. We really appreciate the support, especially uh, support, especially during these times. And finally, we do run the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook, Seinfeldisms. Uh, we have over 100,000 members and lots of cool things coming up. Uh, so check that out on Facebook and uh, all those details for all of our social media and our contact details uh, will be in the show notes. So uh, have a look. Indeed. And speaking of Seinfeldisms, to kick off the show, my friend, what Seinfeld related thing has happened to you in the last week? Uh, well, this is kind of a two-parter. It's it's the same one, but it happened in two chunks. Uh, I recently moved house, and uh, when you move into an apartment block uh, or any sort of high-density uh, housing, usually when you open up your phone and search for a Wi-Fi network, there's usually a whole list. Uh, most of those Wi-Fi networks are just uh, internet companies with a random bunch of numbers. But uh, to my surprise, uh, there was a local Wi-Fi network, and it was called Jerkstore, and then a Wi-Fi network directly under that called Jerkstore, but slower. Ah. And that in and of itself was a really, really good Seinfeldism. Um, I put that Seinfeldism up on the Seinfeldism's Instagram page, which is Seinfeldism's IG, in case you want to check it out. And uh, about an, that was this morning. Uh, and about an hour later, I got a random message on the Instagram page from a guy who lives next door to me. And he said, uh, I think you just posted my uh, my Wi-Fi networks. He doesn't know about the podcast. Um, he doesn't follow Seinfeldisms on Facebook or anything like that. Uh, he messaged me and just said that he went to his explore section in his Instagram and he saw my picture and he thought what the hell uh, and he sent me a photo of his router with his uh, network name um, and he sent his password as well oh, of course <laughs> and we had a little exchange saying how crazy is it that I posted a random photo of this network of this unknown person he saw the photo we had no connection prior and uh, he contacted me and we just thought it was a freaky coincidence but then we figured out that Instagram must tag locally taken photos um, and display them in your explore section you know like mm. if you if you want to explore and it might take a bunch of local cafes or something like that. Like geolocation or whatever they call Basically, it. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that's why it would have come up. It wouldn't have been. Otherwise, the coincidence is just too crazy. Yeah. Now, I said I'd give him a shout out. Um, his name on Instagram is Alpha Moso Murphy, which is E-L-F-A-M-O-S-O Murphy. He's actually a photographer. And uh, if you scroll through his Instagram, uh, he's a really, really good photographer. So if you're wanting any photography work, check him out. We'll yeah. uh, put those details in the show notes. Or if you're a hand model like George used to be and you need a photographer, He's probably your guy too. Yeah, I think so. Maybe yeah. we'll start. Maybe I'll start seeing uh, pictures of hands on his Instagram feed. Oh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, mate. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, like I said, two-parter. Yeah. Uh, one of the best Seinfeldisms I've uh, ever come across, and uh, completely unexpected. Yeah, well, for me, probably one of the funniest Seinfeldisms I've had in a long time. I have a Google Home Mini thing. You know that thing where you, I, I won't say it in case it triggers your smart device i won't say the, the thing but when you say hey you know who <laughs> I, I put a reminder up to uh sweep the floor because uh with my my place with my dog he's got a lot of as you can see steve has a lot of ripped toilet paper rolls yeah he's and still a puppy and he's got a lot of energy he does yeah so he likes ripping up the toilet paper rolls we leave for him and uh there's bits of dirt and you know bits of uh, cardboard and stuff so i would put a reminder in saying hey you know who remind me to sweep the floor at 5 p.m today <laughs> and then it says okay i'll remind you to sleep the floor Wow. So it's like the lip reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's like, I like to sleep why don't we get, with you. Like why don't we get together you. later and sleep together? And sleep together. That's yeah, and right, she's yeah. like, why don't we get together later and sleep together? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what my that's what my Google thing did. I said, Let's, um, remind me to sleep, and it said, I'll remind you to sleep. Wow. So perfect. That's uh, that's fantastic. It's incredible, yeah. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably one of the best I've had in months. <laughs> did you confront it? I should have. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs>
<laughs> we said sweep together. <laughs> That's really, really good. That's fun, yeah. I, yeah as soon no. as I saw that, I'm like, perfect. Yep. Seinfeldism. Two fantastic Seinfeldisms to kick back the in-person recording. Yeah. Okay, on to Seinfeld news. Uh, two items to talk about this week. First is that Tony Hawk, through the week, posted a photo on Instagram um, of him dressed like Larry David as a uh, Halloween costume. He uh, took a photo of himself dressed as Larry David with the bald head and the white hair and the sort of sports jacket and the uh, the, the t-shirt. Uh, and he was on his skateboard uh, on his, I think, his home ramp. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was sort of almost midair. So it was a really good shot. And uh, yeah, really cool. So go to check out Tony Hawk's Instagram uh, if you want to see that photo. Really yeah. funny. We'll put that up in our show notes. I saw that too. And that was hilarious. Like, yeah. It looked like Larry David doing like kickflips and you know, yeah. grabs and stuff. It was it was unreal. I think he had, it was like in uh, like one of those pool bowls. Yeah. 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 And like you see him like rip tricks in the air and stuff. Yeah. It's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, really good. Really good uh, Halloween costume. I always get bored every Halloween when celebrities post their costumes because I, I just don't care about Halloween. But uh, this was an exception to that. The second bit of news was uh, that the seminal Seinfeld episode and our very first Bidwell Basque episode, The Soup Nancy, actually turned 25 through the week. Oh, wow. 25 years ago that came out. Yeah. Fabulous. So in the article, and again, we'll post the link in the show notes, uh, show notes, I should say, the writer of the episode, a Mr. Spike Ferriston, uh, actually talked uh, about it saying that initially he thought the episode was going to be a dud. And it was only because uh, Seinfeld came in the morning after it aired and said that that was a pretty good episode. And obviously the effects that it had just on Seinfeld fandom, and it was one of those classic episodes. Uh, and and the quote, you know, no suit for you became just permanent, sort of permanently embedded into just everyday life for people. Yeah. Yeah. So an interesting turn of events. Oh, fantastic. 25 years that episode came out. Yeah. Wow. So, and uh, that was our uh, sort of debut into podcasting. Yes. Back when we were young and, uh, <laughs> you know, much more green in terms of podcasting. I wouldn't say young, just less old. Less old, yeah. Green as well. Uh, but we did actually redo that episode. That was our first re-gifted one. So if you go through our feed, we did do a re-gift of the Soup Nazi last year. So uh, check that one out if you want to hear us uh, in better sound. And uh, we talk a bit more about the Soup Nazi and other characters in that one too. Yeah, I did re-listen to the first ever episode that we did. And my God, I had to listen to it I, on one I and a half. I couldn't get past it. I couldn't get past it. I had to listen to it on double speed and it's less painful because yeah. it fast forwards the ums and the ahs and the random mm-hmm. deviations from. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't have a structure down. We didn't do Seinfeld News or Seinfeldisms. We kind of just went into it and we talked a lot about our backgrounds with Seinfeld, et cetera, mm. et cetera. But uh, yeah, the re-gifted one is much better. It is, yeah. That's why like, I could only get through 15 minutes of it. <laughs> and that's that's us talking. Yeah. You know? yep. That's why we've archived it and we have like a little like intro at the start saying, hey, don't listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Listen to another, the other one. Yes. But anyway, that was us in the old days. Um, did you have any other Seinfeld news? You no, said? that was it. Just those two items. So I'll uh, suss those links in the show notes. Cool, buddy. Let's have a really quick break. And when we come back, we are back in the Vandalay studios for in-studio recording for the first time in four months, Stephen and I. And when we come back, we're talking about the secretary from season six. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. The Secretary first aired in the US on December 8th, 1994, directed by David Owen Trainer and written by Carol Leifer and Marjorie Gross. And uh, Stephen, before I do get into the synopsis, I did notice the episode was directed very differently. It wasn't uh, Tom Sharones or Andy Ackerman. Did you notice it was a bit different? Uh, no. I can't recall anything that was different, you know, in terms of its editing or okay. the way it's shot. Oh, it just uh, felt different for me. I don't know. Just, but then when I saw who directed it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's someone who doesn't usually direct episodes. No, this felt pretty Seinfeldy to me. Okay, cool. All yeah. right. It's okay. just me then. <laughs> what was it that you thought was uh, different? I don't know. Well, it just, especially in the third act when they're at Barney's, like the, the three of the four main guys, they're in the thing. It, it kind of felt like an old Seinfeld episode. Okay. It'd be like something like, you know, one of those um, episodes like uh, the Chinese restaurant or whatever. You okay, know yeah. how three of them are caught in a situation in one location yep. and then things happen. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It just felt, it felt a bit different, I don't know, compared to other episodes where everything's more, you know, non-linear. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, I I, uh, I know what you're saying now. One thing I did notice about this episode, that the dialogue was a lot more sharp. It was mm. very, very, almost uh, like Albert and Costello. Abbott and Costello, sorry. Yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. very, like, one, two, one, like, back and forth, a lot of quick exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the dialogue is witty and sharp in almost every episode, but it just had this extra wittiness in this episode that I really appreciated. Yeah, I think uh, it was of Carol Leifer, too. We have commented in the past that Carol Leifer has, like, a bit of a, I don't know, she adds an extra element to the writing. Like, mm. she's, we've done episodes where she's written them, and, you know, I feel like they're a cut above yeah. in, in terms of the dialogue, so I think that's probably it, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. But anyway, this episode, George, he's authorised by the Yankees to get himself a secretary, and he's decided not to hire an attractive woman as it'll be too distracting. Of course, it doesn't really make any difference. Elaine is having a problem with an expensive dress she's recently bought, and is convinced that the store is using thin mirrors. Jerry thinks he sees his dry cleaner wearing his jacket at the movies. His name's Willie, played by Joseph R. Sakari. Kramer gets Yuma Thurman's phone number and writes it down on Jerry's dry cleaning ticket. Other secondary characters, Steve Heitner, he makes another appearance as Kenny Banya. He appears in the previous episode, The Soup. Uh, Vicky Lewis plays the secretary, Ada. Armine Azarian plays the saleswoman at Barney's. Mitzi McCall plays Donna, who's Willie's wife. And uh, of course, Lee Bear, he plays George Steinbrenner and he's voiced by Larry David. So, trivia for the episode my friend what have you got uh so this was the first episode to have one of steinbrenner's long-winded monologues yes uh, where he talks about his favorite donuts and all sorts of desserts and how he got trapped in a donut truck and how it put him off desserts for a while <laughs> and uh it had two rants and both times george does the classic walkout where he kind of just realizes that this is a lost cause i'm not going to get what i need out of my boss and he kind of just exits and and steinbrenner just goes on and on and on and on and that mm. will become a classic steinbrenner trope well really the only steinbrenner in a trope for the remaining time that George is at the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, George doesn't acknowledge what Steinbrenner is saying, and Steinbrenner doesn't acknowledge the fact that George left the room. Yeah. So they're both but, ignorant of each other. Well, I would assume that prior to this episode, even though it's the first time they show it, George seems pretty on the ball straight away of like, well, I know what's going to happen here. I've come here with a specific problem, and I require a specific solution, and Steinbrenner is just going off on one of his rants. George doesn't look confused, like, what's no, this guy talking about? He, he, he knows what's up, Yeah, and I think that's just because Steinbrenner is like this to everyone. Everyone, and he's been like that since uh, the first day that George started at the Yankees. And it's the first time that we, the viewers, see it. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, of but course. George, George, you know, he knows what's going on. <laughs> he does. Uh, and this is also, Steve, the first episode. There's lots of firsts, actually, in my trivia. Yeah. Uh, besides what you've said. The first episode to have Castle Rock's new logo at the end of the episode after their acquisition by the Turner Broadcasting Service. Oh, TBS. Okay. Yeah, or the Broadcasting System, I think, okay. Turner. Yeah, so TBS. Yeah, so they had a new logo, and that was the first time it got featured. And another trivia fact. I have Steve it's about the Simpsons Yardley Smith she's the voice of Lisa Simpson on that show she Yardley audi- oh Yardley sorry my mistake Yardley Smith yes she uh, auditioned for the role of Ada in the episode oh mm. she would have been a good Ada uh, Ada <laughs> you know she's got the sort of high pitched voice yeah. um, naturally if you listen to Yardley talk you know normally she does have that similar voice to uh, the actress that played Ada I didn't catch that Vicky Lewis yeah mm-hmm. um, so that would have been if Yardley was cast and her personality is kind of like Ada so I reckon that you know that would have been a, a close uh decision it was probably maybe something to do with the simpsons as well like maybe they didn't want because the simpsons is obviously a fox show and seinfeld's an nbc show they probably didn't want to associate any fox related material to nbc maybe because the simpsons was so powerful and yardley was so well known for lisa with her distinct voice maybe yeah. they didn't want to yeah, sound like probably... a lisa simpson like character on the show yeah no yeah. that's that's a possibility yardley was probably a lot more expensive as well oh yeah <laughs> you know, they probably being... demanded a lot more money <laughs> you know even though she, even though she was <laughs> yeah. uh, at this stage only a voice actor not a not a, a physical actor or an on-screen actor i should say just her profile and you know this is peak simpson season four five when it was you know the best of the best yes uh you know her fee probably would have been 10 times you know anyone else so yeah yeah and then vicky took 10 times less money yeah. <laughs> to do the same thing exactly but she got a raise so it made sense. Yeah. <laughs> a $25,000 <laughs> yeah. raise for the cameo <laughs> imagine if imagine if it was an in joke they picked the $25,000 figure because that's how much more yardley smith's fee was oh, so, you know, so as a fun. as a dig to yardley they're like we'll make her raise $25,000 <laughs> in the show <laughs> maybe <laughs> but i feel like as yardley was so synonymous with lisa they probably yeah. thought no nah. yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't but anyway, yes, uh, that's all the trivia I have, my friend. What about you? Uh, the only other one was that this was really when Uma Thurman, who Kramer gets her number, uh, when she was really uh, hitting her stride as an actress. Her first big break came from Pulp Fiction. Yes, in that same year. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, since then, she's been one of the sort of premier female uh, leads in Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, good timing. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Very good for Kramer, getting an up-and-coming uh, star. <laughs> well, eventually Banya dates her, but Kramer almost got her. It's funny, though. I was thinking, you know, uh, even though, like Jerry says to Elaine when Kramer gets her number, uh, Jerry's like, well, he's got the Kavorka. You know, it's it's perfectly reasonable that he would get a, a popular actress's number. The fact that they made, even though Uma Thurman was big at this time, she wasn't, you know, like Sharon Stone, like someone who'd been big for decades. Yeah, she's someone just completely, yeah, someone completely unattainable for Kramer, even with uh, the Kavorka. So I think it was a smart choice of like, well, we'll have an actress who would seem unattainable for most people, but not so unattainable that you would think, hey, hang on a minute, like yeah. not even Kramer could get someone else. And plus, not everyone would have 
seen Pulp Fiction, her yeah. breakout role. So I'm sure some people might have recognised her. Yeah. But if you got someone like Sharon Stone in the cinema, everyone would be like, oh, Sharon Stone. Yeah, you know, it would just seem a bit more moment. unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, someone like Uma, an up-and-comer, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a good good balance. Yeah. And I think, you know, they just wanted to have someone's name who uh, was very similar to Uva. To so, Uva, <laughs> yeah. So it worked. Uva for Uma, of course. Exactly. Anyway, let's talk about our first secondary character, my friend Ada, the secretary. Uh, she's played by, like I mentioned, film and theatre actress Vicky Lewis. Uh, for film, she's appeared in Finding Nemo, uh, the 1998 adaptation of Godzilla. I, I think she plays Matthew Broderick's sidekick. She's like the other scientist. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I saw it around when it came out. The only thing I really remember from it was that terrible Puff Daddy. Come with me. Yeah. And, and it's um, a ripoff of Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just just garbage. (laughs) It's shocking, yeah. Yeah. Um, For theatre, she's appeared in Broadway productions of Anastasia and Damn Yankees. Uh, She also appears in the next episode of uh, Seinfeld, The Race, where she tells Steinbrenner that George is a communist after misunderstanding a phone conversation that George had relating to the uh, the classified, the ad. And I think in that episode, she's no longer George's secretary. She's almost uh, gone up up the corporate ladder a bit. She gets promoted, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's someone else's secretary or PA or something. Yeah, so things have gone really well for her. Yeah, I mean, she... She doesn't lose her job for sleeping with a boss. She gets a raise three days into it and she gets promoted. So she's on a winning streak. She does. I mean, she gets a raise, but not only does she get a raise, she gets more than her boss. Yeah, exactly. Which is unheard of. Yeah. Like George says. In yeah. The episode. Before we uh, started recording this afternoon, I was listening to uh, this episode on the post-show recap Seinfeld podcast, which, uh, has yeah. been, which has been finished for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were actually doing the numbers about how much uh, the salaries would have been. And uh, they came to the conclusion that George's salary salary was probably about 50 grand at this time in 94 and uh, Ada's when she was first employed was probably about 30 and she got a $25,000 raise which would have taken her to 55k back then was a lot yeah I mean that's you know exactly and I don't know those numbers kind of lined up to me I was like well yeah I I have no idea about the salaries of uh, you know 90 sports executives Mm. uh, or corporate staff but uh, those numbers seemed right yeah they seemed about right yeah Yeah. you know and I think uh, Georgia's salary only being 5k less than Ada's after the promotion you know kind of makes sense as it well. It makes sense, yeah. yeah. Earning a bit more for less work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> less responsibility. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, anyway, with Ada, we find out that she does look after her mother, so she can't do any night shifts. Yeah, I feel like she's a very caring person. Her mother's probably had an illness or is disabled. And, you know, Ada, I feel like Ada's always struggled. I feel like she's always been a pushover in her roles. I feel like because of her intelligence and I think she's a very kind of, oh, she's she's kind of, in terms of work, she's very strong and she believes in herself and she knows what she's doing. But I Yeah, think she on, backs herself a lot in this episode. She, she does say, I'm very good at my job. I'm very good at my um, job. My, yeah. my uh, references are impeccable. She's yeah. very, she knows her worth and her skills. But I feel like maybe she's been somewhat of a pushover in mm. her previous jobs. And I feel like George is probably the first boss that she's had where someone's actually appreciated her for her work. I mean, she knows, like you said, she knows that she's a good worker, but her bosses may not have acknowledged it. Yeah. Or maybe sometimes, you know, there might be a situation where Ada did all this work, but then the boss takes credit for it. It's like, oh, yep. look what I did, my boss. Yep. And it's like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did this. What the hell? Are you taking my work? Yeah. So it's probably those kind of scenarios. So that's probably why she has the attraction to George. It's probably not a like attraction to him physically but probably attraction like oh i've actually got a boss who really cares for me and then suddenly it just became sexual in that moment yeah i mean you know when you you know underappreciated for many many years by assumingly many many different bosses and then all of a sudden three days into your new job you probably she probably started this job expecting the same lack of appreciation from george but george is very very you know appreciative of her and he tells her you know you're a you're a marvel like you just he can't yeah. stop complimenting stuff her. that ada was never called in her previous jobs despite her good references and stuff yeah Yeah. i mean she may well be physically attracted to george as well Mm. but yeah i think most of her uh the sexual spark comes from her just being not desperate but just being very very almost overwhelmed by the abundant compliments that george pays her and i love how there's like a kind of transformation of ada after Mm. she gets the raise i love when we first meet her she's like a buttoned up you know she's wearing like a buttoned up blouse she looks like kind of like a librarian yeah with like a stereotypical librarian and she's all like you know she's like oh i can do my job conservative and bookish yeah and bookish and then after the sexual after the encounter and after she gets the raise i love how she's in like this kind of power jacket you know like one of those executive jackets she's got like like shopping bags in her hand like she's gone out shopping with her raise like a twenty-five thousand 
$1,000 raise. That's huge. Yeah. That, like, puts you on the next tax bracket. And her hair's down yeah, after she, the raise, yeah, and she just seems a lot lighter. A lot lighter, she does. Yeah, and she's in, like, a, like, a, like one of those women's executive, like, business suits. Yeah, and even yeah. her top button or maybe her top two buttons are undone. Yeah. Um, you know, she's still dressed, dressed very, um, like, professionally, but it's not as sort of cloistered. No, it's not. So she's got, like, a newfound freedom. Yeah, and I think part I of that it. is... I love a, that scene. Yeah, no, it's a subtle, it's a subtle uh, costume change that represents so much and uh part of her i guess her upbeat mood after she gets a promotion i mean anyone would be stoked with effectively doubling your salary three days into your job absolutely but i think part of it as well is her probably getting some relief um, i imagine the care for her mother is not cheap yeah um and being on a sal- uh, a secretary salary probably makes it hard to live in new york have her own life and also uh, make sure that she can afford a mother's care. So I think that that would have made her feel a lot lighter and less stressed because yep. now she's got extra money to maybe even get better care or, you know, better doctors for her mother. Yep. Um, and she can afford stuff like she has in her hands. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. shopping bag. Yeah, it, 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 will, it will improve her life and her mother's life in many, many ways. Mm. And I think as well, I, I'm assuming that she quit her last job because there was an expectation that she'd work long hours. Yes, that's, um, I, I was thinking the same thing. Because yeah. her first question to George is after she sort of sells herself, her first question is, uh, will there be a requirement to work nights because I have to take care of my mother? So if George said yes, uh, I think she would have turned down the job. Yeah, I think she she's gotten to a point where her mother's care is so important to her and to her mother that she'll only work a job where she has nights available. Where it's flexible, yeah. like a good work-life arrangement. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah, work-life balance. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and you know, assuming that... That her mother's care basically takes up most of her life outside of work, you know, nights, weekends, etc. I'm assuming that she hasn't dated for a long time yeah. and that she's maybe just a bit sexually frustrated uh, and it's just been a while since she's had any sort of intimacy and then that as well as George's compliments contributed to that sort of explosive yeah. sexual energy that leads to them just tearing each other's clothes off. Those compliments were basically just the spark yeah. at the start of the fire. Yeah. That's really all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The powder king. Yeah, and, and the Tinder was the lack of sex for a while. <laughs> yes. you know, and those two things combined... <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 you know, after being sexually inactive for, I'm assuming, months, maybe years, that as well as her raise contributed to her much more, you know, literal hair down, you know, carefree approach because you would feel satisfied. She transformed into the butterfly. Exactly. She yes. did. Yes. Yeah. I like Ada. She's, uh, yeah, she I was like great. her too. Yeah, I like she's her good. too. Yeah. yeah, she's good. Very well uh, well portrayed by Vicky. Uh, yeah, very nice, very nice moments from her. Yep. You know, and then, yeah, you just see like the transformation when she gets that big raise where literally she's probably on the next tax bracket, mm. you know, when you get an extra 25 grand a year. Yep. 25, not 2,500, 25,000. Yeah. You know, that's huge. Yeah, she's just really confident in herself and she can afford to look after her mother, get her, like you said, the best care or even better care mm. uh, if it's available and she can even look after herself and get a few things for her. Make it yeah, feel good. I mean, she might even be, you know, after the, what's the next episode again? Uh, the race. The race, yeah. you know, uh, where, you know, she gets promoted, assuming she gets an even higher salary bump. She might even be able to hire like a live-in nurse with her mother so she's got more of her own time on she weekends does. or something. Mm. Yeah, she's just on this upward trajectory. Joining the Yankees was the best <laughs> thing she ever did professionally and sexually. And it was lucky that George <laughs> didn't want someone who was eye candy. She wanted, he, to his words, he wanted to do a full 360, but Jerry corrects him saying, so no, a That's a 180, George. George George is like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) So, you know, doing a full 180 and going for someone for their skills rather than their looks, uh, it paid off for her too. He's not saying that I want to employ someone who has got skills. He just wants to employ someone who he was not physically attracted to. Yeah. Even if Ada wasn't very good as a secretary, he would still employ her mm. because he doesn't see her as sexually enticing. Yeah. And I mean, speaking on those couple of scenes, it's funny, but even for the mid nineties, George just straight up sexually harasses those women in the interview. He, you I know, can't the fact believe that, that I know the fact that he's like, you know, you know, I, I would, I would really just to, to in a bra. just to get a glimpse of you in your <laughs> bra. Uh, you know, you, you're so attractive. I forgot my own name. Yeah, that's and a bit and, problematic. Eh? Oh, totally. Um, yeah. And and these women are just like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And they shake their hand and, and just walk off. It also reminds me of the scene where Kramer walks into the women's dressing room and Elaine pulls him up on it saying, that's the women's. Oh, no, I think someone else says that. Kenny's the like, that's the women's oh, dressing Kenny's. room. And, and Kramer's like, it's nothing in there that I haven't seen before. That's that's That was a bit pervy. Yeah. That's a bit like, come yeah, on, this, man. Yeah, it's a bit of a horny episode. <laughs> it is, yeah. Lots of lots of horniness in this <laughs> yeah. one for sure. Yeah, but. Uh, lots of secretary, you know, like fantasies and, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but, but Kramer not really understanding that walking into a women's 
women's locker room, regardless of whether he's seen a million naked women or none, you know, it's not about him, it's about the other women. The other women. That that is in line with with Kramer's character. That's like, well, of course Kramer's gonna do that. You yeah, know, he's yeah. sometimes he's so switched on, like he he's more clued in than most other people about what's appropriate, but then other times he's completely disconnected. He's this- so disconnected that he gave away his suit while he was wearing it. I know. He sold it to Kenny. He didn't think ahead. He didn't think ahead. <laughs> so in this case he was switched off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For the you whole know, episode. Yeah, Kramer's either really switched on and he just glides into these situations and, and they work out or they completely fall apart like mm, this one. They indeed. Yeah. Anyway, who shall we talk about next, my friend? Uh, why don't we talk about uh, Willie? Willie, yes. Uh, well, I've got some notes on Donna as well, so I think we'll put him as like one character. Willie They're basically the same person. Almost. Willie was played by Joseph R. Sakari. Uh, he was actually born on April 29, like me and Jerry. We're born on the same ah. day, except he was born in the year 1939. So I yep. thought that was a good little pickup. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. My birthday. Sweet. Nice. Jerry, obviously, Jerry has my birthday too, which is obviously not the same year, but uh, yeah, it's just fun. It's like, oh, another April 29 person. Yeah. And ironically, Uma Thurman was born on April 29 too. You mean coincidentally? Yes. <laughs> coincidentally. That's what I was trying to say. That's, that's Alanis Morissette irony. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> and completely unrelated, but also related segue, uh, we mentioned at the top of the episode that we do a B podcast available to our patrons. Patrons are uh, called Curbcast. And the next episode we're going to talk about is called The Terrorist Attack, which is season three, episode five. Yeah. And it does have a cameo from uh, Alanis Morissette. And yeah. It's, it's it uh, one of my favorite storylines. But uh, if you want to hear us talk about that in detail, just make sure you sign up to Patreon to uh, check that out. Is that ironic? Uh, no. It's, no, again, coincidental. That's another Alanis <laughs> irony. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but anyway, um, he's um, uh, Joseph Asakari, the actor. He's known for the films Kicking and Screaming and The Benchwarmers. Uh, Donna, his wife, was played by Mitzi McCall. She's known for Ice Age and Ed TV. And uh, we find out Willie and Donna, they use people's clothes, their clients' clothes, which is kind of like a mechanic who services maybe Ferraris and they might take it for a spin, you know, yeah. after they service it. Yeah, I assumed that Willie uh, and Donna both come from working class backgrounds. Maybe they never had enough money to afford the nicer things of life. That's what I'm thinking too. Um, yeah. And, you know, even though they're seemingly successful dry cleaners, um, you know, it's every time uh, there's a scene in the dry cleaner, there's always people in there. There's lots of clothes in the background. You know, Jerry takes his clothes there regularly and Jerry goes through dry cleaners almost as fast as he does girlfriends. Yeah, or hot meals. Or hot meals um, <laughs> at Mandy's. <laughs> she tried to swordfish yeah so you know i was i would assume that uh donna and willie are successful dry cleaners successful small business owners but you know for whatever reason they still aren't able to afford those things on their own um or maybe they can but they're like you know what it's available to us for free rather than spend the money it just seems like they wear them because they haven't been able to afford them it's it's like you know they're, they're almost trying on a costume you know i want to be in a higher economic and social bracket and if i wear other people's expensive clothes i'll be able to do that yeah but that's still very unethical oh i'm not i'm not i'm not saying it's yeah. a, the right thing to do yeah, i'm no, just no, saying no, that yeah. that is why they do it why they do it yeah and i love cuz i feel like willie is just a really shifty guy like yeah. he says oh we have a dry cleaners code and even jerry calls him up on Saying, you need a clothe code not to tell you to wear not other people's clothes. Other people's clothes. It's like no, you're just making, and you can see like his shifty eyes, like his eyes shift. Yeah, when he, he realizes when yeah. he realizes that Jerry doesn't have the ticket to get the fur coat, he knows he's he's out of it. Yeah, now. well, yeah, yeah, and I think that sort of um, confirms how dodgy he is. The fact that he can make up a convincing lie on the spot about oh those big uh, you know fur warehouses that you can't get you know fur warehouses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's full of shit. Yeah, but it's convincing enough to uh, deceive Jerry because Jerry goes okay, and then he walks out. And, you know, Jerry's pretty sharp. He, he can see through people's bullshit. Because yeah, Jerry knows, like, he, he's thinking to himself, I've got him with this ticket stub from yep. the cinema. Yep. And then it's like, it's a full 180, it's a 180 back on Jerry. And then Willie has the upper hand. Yeah. Saying, oh, you don't have your ticket. Great. And he's like, oh, good. But the fact that, it, yeah, the fact that he can make up such a convincing lie on the spot and convince someone as sharp as Jerry, yeah, to me, confirms that he's good at being dodgy. Yeah. And he's probably been caught out before. Oh, yeah. You know, people have caught uh, him wearing their clothes in public or, you know, someone has seen him and said, oh, I saw, you know, Willie wearing your your pants the other day mm. what's what's to do with that what's going on or you know maybe maybe people came in to, to pick up their their dry cleaning and he's like oh it's not ready yet and he sort of <laughs> hang he, on he, you're wearing it <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and he's like oh yeah, yeah. i didn't expect you here today exactly you're gonna come tomorrow yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah i think he's a bit shifty yeah <laughs> oh, he's very shifty him yeah. and his wife especially <laughs> they're both dodgy it's funny how it's the same dry cleaning set from the wife in mm. season five you know the one with courtney cox 
Yep. But it, but I googled it because I thought maybe I thought that Willie was the same dry cleaner from that episode, but he was a different guy. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, different oh, guy. I thought is it the same dude? No. Yeah, I think this is probably the fourth or fifth dry cleaner that Jerry's had up until this point. <laughs> the same. And dry he probably cleaner. and I can't recall off the top of my head, but he probably has at least a couple more between season six and nine. So if we can go by the fact that that dry cleaning establishment is the same one across the whole series. Maybe Willie and Donna bought the business from the previous owner. Now they all look different, though. Oh, they do. The actual dry cleaner. Oh, I think they're supposed to be different. They probably like they probably the reuse the same set. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, they're yeah. supposed to be different businesses, and just hoping that the listener, uh, the the listener, the viewer, yeah, doesn't pick up. Oh, hang on, is this? It's supposed to be a different physical address in sure. Seinfeld universe. Sure, sure. But it's just the same set. Oh, I think okay. I think it's supposed to be a different. It's supposed to be different. Different yeah, okay. business. I was going to say if it was the same one and Willie and Donna, you know, bought the business, <laughs> the franchise. And, yeah. Nah, nah, that's. Sounds nah. silly then. Nah. No. Nah. Fair enough. Well, look, if they if they can't afford, you know, a fur coat, can they afford a dry cleaning business? Exactly. I don't know. Fair point. And, uh, you know, and he's obviously been there a while because Jerry has a relationship with him. You know, when he goes, oh, you know, have you met my wife Donna? And Jerry goes, yeah, that's why I said that's hi. I said hi. So, th- they've got a bit of history up. there. And also he's picked up clothes without tickets. Exactly. And then and then Willie's being a liar saying, oh, no, but this is different. Yeah. I think if yeah. it just bought the business, there would be no history with Jerry. You're right. Yeah. yeah. No, very true. Very true. No. So, scrap my theory. <laughs> Stuff it. Yeah. Uh, and just coming back to what. I originally said, I think they almost have like like a chip on their shoulder or just they feel like, you know, life's a bit unfair. So they, they don't seem to really be bothered by the fact that they're wearing other people's clothes and they only go for the more expensive brands. Uh, you know, right at the end when Donna is in the uh, is in Barney's, yeah. Elaine goes, you know, can you get uh, salt stains off this dress? And uh, I think she realizes it's a Calvin Klein dress. You know, if it was just a, a low, low-end dress, if it was just a $20 dress, she probably, you know, she probably would have cleaned it, but she wouldn't have asked her about the size, sizing, no. you know, literally sizing she, it up to she wear. She wanted to wear it, exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. She goes, yeah, Donna wants to wear it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they've just got sort of a grudge a chip on the shoulder about the fact that they've never been able to afford these clothes and that's why they seemingly don't feel bad mm. about wearing them no. that you know they they probably don't like getting caught uh and they're probably a bit stressed about that from time to time but i think they feel that they almost like deserve it you know what yeah. i mean like all these people are bringing in their expensive clothes that sense of entitlement yeah empowers them yeah yeah, yeah I yeah, yeah. I, my favorite scene actually between uh, Willie and Donna is uh, when uh, Willie's trying to come up with the reason why Jerry can't collect the fur coat, and uh, there's a little tiny flashback or flash present or flash. I guess it's a flash present. <laughs> it's a flash present, but it's yeah. actually from a secondary character, which is different. Yeah, Usually it's from the core four. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Donna's just at the hot dog stand, scoffing down a hot dog with this fur coat <laughs> on. It's just so weird. Like, and there's a, like a homeless guy next to her. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah. It's probably it's probably to do with the working class roots, like you yeah. said too. You know, they're used to getting hot dogs at the stand. And they're yeah. not used to going out to Mindy's, you know. For yeah, dinner. yeah. So, she's not going to wear the fur coat to yeah to a nice restaurant like Mandy's. She, yeah, she's, she's she's got champagne taste, but on a beer budget. Yes, so yes. clothes wise. Clothes wise. Yeah, yeah, not hot dog wise. No, no <laughs> not no. food wise. No, no, no. Yes, <laughs> she's got yeah she's got Mandy's taste on a hot dog budget. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's all I had on them. Do you have anything else? No, that's it. Cool. I only have notes on uh, a couple on Kenny Banya in the episode. I mean, we have done an episode of Jerry's enemies in the past, so Kenny was featured on it. But sometimes. If there's a prominent secondary character in an episode that we've already talked about, we like to just maybe talk about them in the context of this episode. So yeah, maybe, there's always, yeah, yeah, even though we've done a comprehensive review of Kenny and many other secondaries in their own episodes, every time they do come up in an episode, there's at least usually one point that we missed in their own episode mm. uh, that we want to address. Exactly. But yeah, Kenny Banya, he is played by Steve Heitner. And in the previous episode, Steve, he does give Jerry the Armani suit in exchange for a dinner. And then Jerry gives the suit to Elaine's pardon, English boyfriend, and he's wearing the suit and Kenny confronts him and uh, the suit ends up getting ripped. I, think. I feel like it gets ripped because remember they're in Monks and then um, Kenny sees the suit and he goes Why, where'd you get that suit? And then uh, the English guy's like I got it from this thing and this thing and Kenny goes that's my suit. Yep. And then they, yeah, run and they have a scuffle outside. They have a scuffle. I feel like the suit got ripped. That's yeah. probably why Kenny is at Barney's. That's why he's in the market to buy a new suit. He is and he loves the vintage suit and uh, he doesn't even consider Kramer like because Kramer says I'll buy you this, I'll sell you the suit but then Kramer like we mentioned is switched off mm. but then Kenny doesn't say look do you want to like maybe go to your place and we can sort this out or whatever. Yeah. Kenny's just like, I want the suit. I think because Kenny, he feels really confident because he's now 42. I'm huge. Yep. Um, so he kind of wants a suit to kind of show off that definition and he kind of wants it right away. Yeah, Kenny, not, 
normally is a bit naive. He's not really aware of what other people think about him or the fact that most people think that he's a bit of a punisher. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, he's kind of got this subtle confidence. Yeah. Um, you know, when he when he uh, big notes himself about how huge he is, <laughs> he's bloody too. And he's probably thinking that in Barney's, I reckon suits are probably hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Probably a lot more. And then he's probably sees an opportunity with Kramer. And that's why he originally goes 100 before he goes to 300. Just on that. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't see them. There's no scene where it shows them figuring out where they're going to do the suit swap. I would assume that you know, Kenny didn't say, I'll buy it off you now. I would assume that Kramer was maybe insistent, like, yeah, I'll give it to you now. Because mm. he's the one who says he didn't think it through. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kenny probably, if Kramer said to him, okay, well, I, I don't have any other clothes. Let's go to my place and we'll, we'll do the swap. Kenny would have gone like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, Kenny would have trusted Kramer enough to do it at his house. Was Kenny, um, sorry, not Kenny, was Kramer still gambling around that time? Could uh, that maybe to be anything to do with his gambling addiction? He wanted money to put on the horses or no, something? No. no. Was it around that time? I don't think so. He okay. doesn't seem he doesn't seem desperate to sell. No, no. Because he because he he doesn't, you know, Kenny tries to lowball him at the starting and Kramer's like, surely you jest. Surely you jest. So I don't I, think, like I don't think he's desperate for money. I don't think he needs to pay any bookies or sure, sure, there's sure. a big race coming up that he wants to bet on or anything. He just wasn't thinking. Yeah, he just I just think like he just wasn't thinking ahead. And then Elaine says, Why don't you just buy a suit? Yeah. And Kramer says that'll affect my profit <laughs> yeah, margin. Yeah. I, and I think for Kramer, like even though he loves the suit enough to not accept a lowball offer and he's not desperate for money, he does love wheeling and dealing. He does love conducting business he loves you know, the art of the deal yeah he loves yeah. selling raincoats he loves yeah. betting on airport arrivals you know he loves he loves the one-on-one business deal where he could maybe you know make a few hundred bucks mm, he's mm. a he's a wheeler and dealer wheeler so dealer, yeah. yeah so i think for kramer that is the attraction as well i think so too yeah, yeah just just the opportunity to do business in the moment it gets you know it gets him going and then kenny you know because jerry you know to try and get that ticket stub out of his jacket or out of kramer's suit i should say with yuma's number on it the dry cleaning stub yeah he's like i'll take you for dinner you know yep. reluctantly and then he's like two dinners kenny yeah. <laughs> He's trying to up it. I just said it before, and uh, I think we've both agreed in previous episodes about Kenny or with Kenny in them that he, you know, he's sort of like happily unaware of how other people see him. And he just sort of bounces around life with this happy go lucky, jovial, like, hey, like, eh. even though he fails at most things and he's sort of a bit of a loser. Mm. But I think on some level, he is self aware enough to know that that is how the world sees him and that's how the world receives him. One thing I noticed in this episode that I hadn't noticed before that he seems to really almost get off on having something over people yeah he does you know yeah, he i think yeah. that for him that is him trying to feel in control about a life that maybe you know doesn't work out a lot for him in a, in a positive way um the fact that you know he i mean i think jerry's right of like you know i'm taking you out to a nice dinner and all i want is a ticket in the suit but he doesn't back down he's like no two dinners no, two dinners and when he uh when he like wins that bet you know when he has that over jerry he seems chuffed about it and you know he's also very very upset that kramer's moisturizer has ruined the suit i think he likes making deals and i think for him it's not even deals like bargaining you know he likes negotiating and winning that because it's a form of control in a life that he doesn't have a lot of control over and i feel like he still has a grudge against jerry from the previous episode yeah. you know going out for dinner and then he gets gets a soup you know and then yep. jerry's like that's the meal and, yep. and kenny's like no soup isn't a meal yeah it's yeah. it's a loop that kenny doesn't feel has been closed off fairly when he gets this opportunity to not only get one full meal but two two it's literally having his cake and eating it yeah and and then and, the- and, and, <laughs> and, and and the fact that just kenny has an opportunity to close off his storyline from the previous episode you know he gets a new suit well you know he doesn't have the new suit for long but he gets his two meals you know it's sort of like it's a nice bit of closure for him as a secondary character i don't think we see him again for the rest of that season or even if we do must be really late because i think the other episode he's in later is the soup nazi yeah he's waiting in line for the soup i think i don't think we see him after that i think yeah you're right it does close off his uh yeah because because so many like secondary characters even though he's a he's a regular secondary character he's not just like a one-off episode boyfriend or girlfriend or something a lot of them you know the storyline ends when the episode ends and then the next time they appear it's a totally different storyline mm. but the fact that he's in two consecutive episodes and it's almost like his storyline is almost like one of those unofficial two-parters that we talk mm. about yeah. just his storyline obviously yeah. the soup and the secretary are very unrelated mm. overall but yeah it was just satisfying that they thought that he was good enough to include in this story yeah. and uh for, for it to close off and while it was fresh the whole soup com- um idea as well all the storyline it was fresh in everyone's mind yeah yeah and i love how kenny in a way kind of passed the torch to ada so ada was the one that went to the race and mm. she was the one that called George the communist to Steinbrenner. True. So she kind of, you know, she she, she kind of affected those two storylines as well. It's true. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of, I like how they, I like the writing in those, well, three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true, actually. Yeah, very true. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I think this is my favorite episode with Kenny in it. Okay. Yeah, cool. I don't know why. I think because he's less punishy and he's, it's nice to see, you know, even though he is very annoying. Yeah. And if he was a real person in my life, I would be like Jerry and do everything I could to avoid him. Sure. And, you know, even sort of give him a lot of shit like Jerry does. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Kenny sort of has a small 
to win in this episode. It's, it's, a, it's like when George, you know, 99% of the time things go wrong for him because he's a terrible person who makes terrible decisions. But every so often a little win occurs and it's just like, oh, that's nice. Like in season one's the stock tip. He makes all that money. Yeah, but that's before George was a horrible person. Like he was, oh, he was, a, he was yeah. actually kind of a human in season one mm-hmm. and he, yeah. he wasn't such a loser. Sure. But, you know, even after season one, very occasionally he'll have like a little win, even if it's temporary. Like the hand model uh, in the puffy shirt. Exactly. Yeah. And, and when that happens, it's satisfying. And it's the same with Kenny. You know, not a big win. He gets a couple of free meals uh, and you got Uma Thurman's number, which is a pretty big win, I guess. Yeah, it's a girl called Uma. Yeah, it's there's something strangely satisfying. You obviously We're, didn't watch Pulp Fiction. No. No. <laughs> he hasn't seen it yet. No. No. Some woman called it. Well, I mean, if you just saw Uma on a, on a ticket stub, you wouldn't know it's Uma Thurman until you met her. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So he doesn't know it's Uma. Th- even if he has seen Pulp Fiction, he maybe wouldn't. Why would you think it's Uma Thurman? Yeah, well, you, you know, you, know, there's not many people called Uma. It's true. Pretty, pretty common. It's like Keanu. If like someone got a number and it was like Keanu, you think all oh, Reeves. True. True. You know, I don't think there's too many people called Keanu in the world or, that's true. or Uma. So, that's yeah, true. That's uncommon true. Names. I, I'd probably think of Uma Thurman if yeah. I was in the US, yeah. I'd at least consider it. Yeah. Probably not now when no. she's famous, but back yeah. then, yeah, when she was coming up, maybe. It's true. <laughs> anyway, yes. But anyway, that's all the secondaries I have, mate. What about you? Uh, I just had a couple of notes on the uh, saleswoman at Barney's. Yes, she was played by Armine Azarian. I don't have any acting credits for her. Didn't get those. But uh, yes, she's the saleswoman. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to her character. She doesn't really talk much. Uh, you only see her in Barney's. But, you know, Elaine's pretty, like, strong-willed. Um, she usually gets what she wants. She's usually very intimidating to, to people like her um, or things work out. But the fact that she is not intimidated by Elaine at all, she doesn't even flinch. You know, Elaine's having a bit of a rant about the mirrors and, uh, you know, I'm going to complain about this. And she just doesn't move. Like, no. straight-faced. She's in salesperson mode the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those rare characters who are not intimidated by Elaine's sort of assertiveness at all. They just- probably get so many Karens. You know, like a long, yeah. like Elaine, so she's probably just used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's obviously very smart, and very perceptive. Because Elaine walks in, I don't think she sees Elaine walk out, but she knows that she's like, "Hang on, where's that woman who tried the dress on?" Because the dressing she, room's on the other side. Yeah, yeah. But I think she knows that something's up when she hasn't seen her. But then she comes back in half an hour later or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then she she perceives the salt stains on the bottom of her dress, and she's like, "Well, you know, obviously that means you've gone outside." And that Elaine, Elaine, it. yeah. And then yeah. Elaine's like, "That's preposterous." <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the facial expression from JLD, especially yeah. at the start where she's trying to get the money back or the new dress. Yeah. I love that kind of gawky look Elaine has. Yeah. She's kind of like, you know that look? Yeah. She looks like a beaver. Yeah. I'd love it. And then she, JLD like holds that face for like five seconds. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, no. It's... I think even the crowd laughed at it, the audience. Yeah. They even got a laugh out of it. Just those physical moments from JLD I really enjoyed. Yeah, no, she's yeah. Uh, really good. She's great at facial expressions yeah, as an actress. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Yep. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, that, did you have anything else on her? No, that was it. Just that she is one of the rare characters who is not intimidated, not mm. flustered by Elaine at all. <laughs> and normally, you know, people at least concede something to Elaine because she's quite staunch and assertive, but nothing. Nothing. She gives her nothing. But anyway, we'll give you something, or hopefully we gave you something, some analysis of secondary characters from the secretary. But when we come back, we're going to give you some more stuff. We're going to find out where this episode sits in our 150 episodes episode Stephen that we have reviewed so far wow 150 would you believe it and we'll find out if any of today's secondary characters make our top 20 secondaries that's a nice suit well thank you did you get that here no no this is vintage they don't make this stuff anymore you're telling me I sure am it's hard for me to find pants that uh, don't make you look high-waisted yes me too what size uh 42 42 that's what I am now mm. I've been working out I'm huge now, Ivan, where did the secretary appear uh, in order of the episodes we've reviewed so far? Out of 150 episodes that we have done so far, my friend, number 80. Okay. I mean, enjoyable episode. Yeah, it wasn't, for me, wasn't quite as strong as others. I did like the third act of the episode. I love how it was kind of like a bottleneck episode of sorts. You know, like the Chinese restaurant and the parking garage, all those kind of ones. It was good. Like, even though George wasn't involved at Barney's, I love how the three of them, it was kind of reminiscent, like things happened in that one setting, which kind of all converged together. Mm. And I like that scene how the like Kramer's walking out in the fur jacket. Yep. Jerry's walking out all despondent. Elaine's walking out all despondent in her new dress. Yeah. You know all that kind of stuff. I love because usually in those older episodes you see the three or four of them like what happens after everything finishes, like them leaving or about to leave or and whatever. how it's and it shows how it's affected them all personally. Yeah, and you can see in their faces how it's all affected them. I love how they're just walking down the street. Yep. And you see like you can see what's just happened. Yeah. I do like it. It's just very reminiscent of like season two, season three. Yep. Uh, which I, I enjoyed. What about you? 
bone. Comes in at number 41. I really like the secretary. Nice. Very strong. Yeah. I love the Ada George storyline. I really like Ada as a character. And no real weak parts in the episode as far as I'm concerned. Great. Uh, the only thing that doesn't make it place higher is that there's no like classic scenes. You know, there's no like super classic lines. Oh, I guess I'm giving you a raise. I mean, it's yeah. probably, it's not in the top, the God tier of Seinfeld. No, it's when I say it's classic, like tier. when I say yeah, classic, yeah, yeah. I mean those always quoted lines or mm. always cited scenes. Sure. Amongst Seinfeld fans, uh, it's probably quoted, yeah. but it hasn't, you know, reached that level of, yeah, God tier. Mm. Um, and I think if there was one or two of those scenes in there, um, it probably would have taken it to maybe even the top 20, maybe. at least the top 30. Sure. Uh, but yeah, still really love the episode. And I do like what you said, the, the third act. I never thought of it that way, but, you know, well put that the third act is almost like a, a bottleneck act, mm. um, reminiscent of, you know, the Chinese restaurant or the subway or yep. the, the episodes where most of the storyline occurs in a sort of random, arbitrary location. That's right. Yeah. Except there's three of them instead of all four, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. But yeah, um, do any of the secondary characters make you 20? Uh, no, but in case it wasn't obvious, loved Ada. Me and too. So shout, to shout out to her. Yeah, shout out to her. Big ups to her. Yeah, And Kenny as well. It was a good performance by Steve. Yeah. No, yep. like I said before, it's probably my favorite Kenny Benya episode. Yep. I think because he gets that little win. He gets it over Jerry. <laughs> he does. And then he wins even more in later seasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, it's, it's sort of like from like he's on a slow upward trajectory from this episode. Yeah. But in our season 11, which was our bonus podcast on Patreon, Kenny's more successful than Jerry yeah. in the modern era. So, yeah. But if you're on Patreon or if you sign up, you can listen to the first six episodes of our season 11, our modern Seinfeld I'm sure series. he had a few downs between uh, the end of season nine and uh, our season oh, 10. Of course. But overall, yeah, he yeah. Uh, is on a winning streak. But like I said, if you do sign up to Patreon, you can listen to the first six episodes that are up. And uh, yeah, episode one is about Kenny. So mm. check that out. Uh, anyway, that was Bidwabask for another week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really glad that uh, myself, Ivan, and my buddy Stephen, we're back in the Vandalay Studios. It's fantastic to see you again, my friend. It's been nearly four months of hell, psychologically, mentally, physically as well, being in lockdown. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's been a slog, so it's nice to see people again. Yeah, for um, sure. So it's good to see you, man. It, I, I feel like even you being in the studio, I just feel more, I don't know, I just feel more uplifted. You know, I feel more happy. Yep. You know, do, just recording and stuff. It's just, it's great. It's a return to normality as well. Of sorts, you know, yeah. Before the uh, COVID-19 virus hit, we'd been doing this for nearly three years straight, or basically three years straight. Uh, and we did have the little reprieve in mid this year when we could see each other again, but that was short-lived. Um, yeah, so it's it's not only uh, a relief to see people, it feels like a return to, you know, what we used to do. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, it, it's yeah, it's just good. It is good, yeah. And we hope you're enjoying uh, enjoyed the episode and what we've given you. And uh, yeah, next week, Stephen, we're heading to season seven to talk about the premiere episode, the engagement. Yes, where we become men. <laughs> we become men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we got to have a pact. Yes. That's it. You held out your hand. I just shook it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't do that at the moment. We got to be COVID safe. No, True. No handshaking. We can just nod each other's. Well, hands. we can do an elbow tap or just sanitize our hands and quickly shake them and wash them. Yeah. Oh, that'll work. There's COVID safe ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. So of sorts, yes. We can make a COVID pact. Oh, we can. A COVID, a COVID pact. safe pact. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But anyway, yes, we are doing that episode next week. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. If you want to drop us an email, bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com. All those details are in the show notes, and you can support us financially. Yes, that's right. We are on PayPal uh, for a one-off donation, and uh, you can support us on Patreon as well. Uh, head to patreon.com forward slash bidwabask. For as little as $2 a month, you can get access to our standard Bidwabask episodes a week earlier uh, than normal, and uh, you do get access to our B podcasts and really our C podcasts, uh, Curbcast and uh, Season 10 and all Season 11 of Seinfeld. Season 10 is available to everyone. Indeed it is. And uh, we can follow us on Facebook on the biggest Seinfeld group on that platform, Seinfeldisms. We uh, manage that page. <laughs> well, Stephen, you started it, but uh, I help uh, moderate as well, as well as a few other people. Uh, you can join 102,000 people or thereabouts however many there are these days and you can put up memes you know you can put up you know if you listen to the pod like obviously you're listening to us you can put stuff about us whatever whatever you like anything Seinfeld related you yep. can put there just no politics yeah no politics yeah that's the only thing we ask especially in these times as well that's the only literally oh and, and don't be an asshole yeah really. yeah the don't, rules are there read the rules respect the rules if you don't respect the rules you're not welcome yeah don't, simple as that don't exactly don't come from the jerk store and be a jerk no because they're running out of you yeah. Uh, yeah as long as you don't do those two things
means, that's great. Basically. Indeed. And uh, I just completely random thought, tomorrow we're recording the day before the US election. Mm, yeah. And uh, I anticipate on Seinfeldisms that uh, tomorrow will be a very lively day. It's going to be a very busy day and a lively one indeed. So Yeah. Uh, you know, in the world in general yeah. and also uh, on the page. Indeed. So, yes. <laughs> but, by, fun. but by the time you hear this, it'll be in the rearview mirror and hopefully some semblance of normality. We'll there, see. There will be a white man in the office. Yes. We just don't know which one. An elderly white man. Yes. Will have won the presidency. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> we'll find out which one. <laughs> we'll find out which one. Yeah. It's like a cliffhanger. Oh. <laughs> It'll be fun. But anyway, well, let's not get into it. Anyway, my name is Ivan. And I'm Stephen. We'll catch you next week for the engagement. Take care of yourselves and each other, especially our US and our European listeners now who are going back into lockdown. Stay safe and uh, yeah, wash your hands and uh, do all that kind of safe stuff. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to live life again like we're doing now. Yes. And, uh, you know, just uh, an additional note on that. We, you know, everyone's experience is, is different. But uh, we in Melbourne just went through a four-month brutal lockdown. Yeah, uh, it, like it's, hard, heavy. And it seemed like the end was never in sight, but we're out of it now. And we're not out of it entirely, but we are taking steps out of it. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, however dark it gets. So, yeah, just keep on uh, keeping on and take care and take care of each other. And, uh, you know, if things do feel down, watch some Seinfeld. I guarantee it'll make you feel better. Yeah, it's a definitely uh, an elixir. It's, an, it's a bomb. It's a bomb. Who told you to put the bomb on? I did. You did. And, and I, Ivan did. And I put on five episodes of bomb, which exactly. I'm going to do after this. Indeed. Indeed. Take care of yourselves. See you next week.